oftentimes being at the edge of the unknown is about some sort of negative prediction. You know, we get information and we say, oh, this means that I'm going to go bankrupt or I'm going to lose my job or I'm going to die from this thing. And the, the question that, our, that this community always asks one another is, can you tell the future? The answer is always the same. No, I can't tell the future. But surprisingly, it often always really feels like such a relief because it brings us back to the present moment. From the Mount Sinai Health System in New York City, this is Road to Resilience, a podcast about overcoming adversity. I'm John Earl. Reverend David Fleener is my guest today. He leads Mount Sinai's program for training hospital chaplains. During the COVID-19 crisis, he's also helped oversee frontline chaplains. Chaplains have played an important role in recent weeks, comforting victims and bringing families to the bedside electronically. They draw on ageless wisdom to connect with religious and secular patients. In our conversation, Reverend Fleener shares what he's learned about human connection during the crisis. He also talks about creating meaning through everyday rituals and about how to live in uncertainty. David, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. I'm really glad to be here. So, David, one of the reasons I was interested to interview you for the podcast is that you wrote a master's thesis that is very relevant for the situation we're in right now. Can you tell us a little bit about it? So 14 years ago, I wrote a master's thesis called Virtual Christian Community. Can you have true, meaningful church online? And one of the scenarios that I posed was, what if we had this very unlikely scenario where a pandemic came through and somehow we were all quarantined in our homes and unable to go to church? Now, it was just in the deep recesses of my imagination, uh, this question. I never, ever, ever thought it would actually happen. And the basic thesis was that from a Christian theological perspective, yes, you can have true and meaningful church online. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. The question on my mind is, how do we stay together when we're not allowed to be together? Yeah, I think the, the seed question in the thesis that was driving me and it's a thread through my work in healthcare and ministry, is about how people connect. We gather, congregate. How are we together? And what I'm seeing today is that it's being pushed to the limit. But, you know, before this pandemic hit, we had another pandemic called loneliness that was affecting certainly the U.S., but also other parts of the world. So you're saying that the coronavirus pandemic kind of accelerates trends that were already in place. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly layers itself on top of uh, the problem of loneliness that we were already facing. But there's also another side to this, is that um, we may come out of this more connected to one another than we were before. And I'm certainly experiencing that in my own life. Yeah, tell me about that. Well, I've never felt more connected to my religious community and faith than I do now. This, this Sunday, I went to three church services, all wow. from my living room. And then later at night, I don't know if you know of Brene Brown. Yes. Uh, Brene Brown is a best-selling author. She decided to offer uh, an unofficial church service through Instagram. And um, it was just wonderful. It was wonderful because it was so creative and interesting and innovative, but also connecting in a way that mm -hmm. I don't usually get on my usual Sunday. 
Yeah. And it was, it was really touching. What sorts of thoughts might you offer somebody who maybe isn't a part of a faith community or isn't interested in doing that right now um, about community and togetherness? This is a good question and, and something I think about a lot being in healthcare, because while I'm a Christian priest, in my other role as a chaplain, I am providing spiritual care to people of any faith and no faith. And so automatically, I and my chaplain colleagues, we're always looking for what are the universal themes, sort of the generic universal themes of religion that all human beings somehow connect to. And so we've boiled it down to a few whenever we define spirituality. It usually revolves around issues of connecting with something or someone greater than yourself. So we call that transcendence, finding meaning and purpose. Um, being in community with other people um, and, you know, and certain practices around that. And so at this point in our history and in our common life as Americans, a lot of those universal themes and practices are already in, in the air, if you will. So um, you might think of meditation and yoga, those kinds of things. They're not particularly uh, married these days to their religious roots, but they're very accessible to folks. And we know through studies that it does have the potential to reduce anxiety and increase relaxation. Another piece I would say is the idea of ritual. When I listen to the news, I'm hearing psychiatrists and psychologists say people who are staying at home, they need to develop some sort of routine schedule. And when I hear that, I hear, oh, the ancient wisdom here is to develop some rituals. So on one level, let's get up every day at the same time, have your meals at you know predictable times, take a walk at a predictable time, you know that sort of thing. And I say, oh well, that's what religious and spiritual life is about. Mm. In my tradition, we have the opportunity to pray four times a day, morning, noon, evening, and before bedtime. We call it Compline. Uh Our Muslim uh, friends and neighbors similarly, right? And so there's something there, whether we're religious or not. We can take these certain elements like ritual and say, oh, I want to incorporate a ritual. One ritual that chaplains have been using for years, as we go, before we go in to visit patients, we have to wash our hands like every healthcare worker or sanitize them. And so it's kind of boring. You know, you do it day after day, I mean, you know, like several, several, several times a day, and it gets kind of boring. And so many of us have taken to using that as an opportunity to say a prayer. And so it's not just washing hands. It's like cleansing our hearts and minds, readying ourselves to go into see the next patient. Well, now everybody's very conscientious about hand washing. And here's an opportunity for anybody who's hearing us to, to take that and make it a ritual. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to wash my hands as much as possible, just like I'm sure you are, and yeah. to find some sort of a prayer or some sort of uh, even if it's not a prayer, just a moment of attention and focus, just kind of really savoring each part of the hand, each finger, that sort of thing. It's like huh. it's like that, that kind of thing, I think, is um, a real opportunity for people to appropriate uh, in a really positive way to appropriate religious practices into an otherwise secular life. I think that's a really interesting example. I like that because it, what, to me, that's reframing. That's reframing a neutral um kind of like boring, necessary task that we all have to do right now and elevating it. 
Yeah, well, and that's the heart of my religion. The heart of my religion is taking something very ordinary and making it sacred. Do you have a hand-washing prayer? I go between uh, a, a couple of different things. Um, one, one, is, <laughs> one is I'm a little, I'm not really OCD, but I am a little OCD. And so I, uh, I'll do some, some counting-related rituals, which are not uh, particularly um, religious. So there is another, another prayer that we sometimes pray uh, when we're presiding over the Eucharist. There are s- several of them. Uh, and some of them are just from from scripture. So it might be something like, uh, I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, O Lord, or, uh, you know, something like that. I mean, mm. whatever, uh, whatever I can, I can find, uh, you know. David, we have a few minutes left, and I want to make sure I ask you about something that you said when we spoke a few days ago. Um, and it's about how your work has changed going from the role of asking deep probing questions to assuming a new role. Can you tell us about that? I sure will. I was sitting with a student the other day, and normally what what clinical supervision looks like in chaplaincy is um, we supervisors ask deep probing, sometimes provocative questions to help facilitate the learning process by putting somebody in a slightly uncomfortable spot. And uh, one of the ways I think about learning is that there's three phases of orientation to disorientation to, to reorientation. And so we're oftentimes looking to get people into that disorientation. And so I asked a question that would have been really standard under normal circumstances uh, about someone's relationship to authority. And, and, and right as I asked it, I realized that it didn't land very well. And what I was aware of in that moment was, oh, the landscape has shifted. We're not under ordinary circumstances right now. Uh, we're in a survivor role right now. And, and that means I've got to shift the way that I'm supervising, the way that I'm teaching. And one of the ways I think about it was instead of asking those provocative and probing questions is to find some way to contain the emotional turmoil that sits inside of my students, my patients, and others right now, uh, and and shift from the provocateur more into the role of of healer, the one who helps to hold and bear uh, the the pain of the anxiety and the uncertainty and that sort of thing, um, as the world around us seems to be in such chaos. What does that new role look like? Mm. Yeah, I'm not challenging as much of uh, this pandemic has created such intensity that my role is to bring more stability. I think another way to say it is that sometimes the educator's role is to increase anxiety to promote learning. Right now, my role is to decrease anxiety to promote learning. Do you do that by listening, by validating, by calming, all of the above? Yeah, I mean, those are things that I normally do to varying degrees, but I'm really heavy on those right now. Lots of empathy, validating, you know, active listening. I mean, these are the standards of the field of both chaplaincy and supervision, but really pushing into that a whole lot more uh, because students are, I was going to say walking into my office, but they're not walking into my office anymore. We're doing it by Zoom. They're showing up at their supervision appointments, carrying so much more than they, mm-hmm. than they were. Is there anything you find yourself saying again and again? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I find myself saying, what I'm telling you is true right now. It may not be true tomorrow because everything changes all the time and we're constantly getting new information. There's so much we don't know. I mean, part of the, part of the task right now is living at the edge of the unknown, which has always got some anxiety around it. And the other task is integrating new information as best we can, as fast as we can take it in because we're getting new information all the time. Um, like over the weekend, for example, uh, my, my spouse uh, called employee health and she was experiencing some symptoms and they said, okay, based on your, your symptoms, we need you to self-isolate. And it was like, it was just really hard to integrate that information. Just, just like 10 minutes ago, we were having coffee together. And now we have to be in separate rooms. Like, how do you, how do you integrate that information? I mean, I can integrate it, but it, it just doesn't turn on a dime. It just doesn't happen like the snap of a finger. And so that's a, that's a big part of life, I think, for all of us right now is constantly trying to integrate new information while, while at the same time living uh, with the anxiety of being at the edge of the unknown where there's still so much we don't know. As we come to a close, I'm wondering if you would speak directly to a listener and what thoughts you would give them about how to live at the edge of the unknown. Yeah, at the edge of the unknown. So this community, a non-religious spiritual community that I'm part of, really focuses a lot on that living at the edge of the unknown. And uh, the question we always ask one another and ourselves, it's an interesting question. Um, Oftentimes being at the edge of the unknown is about some sort of negative prediction. You know, we get information and we say, oh, this means that I'm going to go bankrupt or I'm going to lose my job or I'm going to die from this thing. And the, the question that, our, that this community always asks one another is, can you tell the future? And you have to really take that in for a second. Can you tell the future? No, I cannot tell the future. I cannot tell the future. Okay, now what is it like, what is it like to, to realize that you can't tell the future? How does that feel? And surprisingly, it often, the answer is always the same. No, I can't tell the future. But surprisingly, it often always really feels like such a relief because it brings us back to the present moment. Instead of going off to this dark future where everything's bad, we come back to this moment right here where I'm safe and I'm okay. And I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I mean, the truth is I could win the lottery tomorrow and have a much better future. The truth is I could become sick and die within the course of the next six months. And then, and that indeed would be a negative future, but we don't know. We don't know any of that. And so I find that really helpful. I don't know if everybody finds that so comforting, but but it brings Mm -hmm. me back to reality Mm -hmm. and uh, the reality of, I don't know. And, And that kind of brings me back to my religious and spiritual roots, which is a value of not knowing, hmm. and which is really hard. It's really hard to maintain that value in a scientific institution like a healthcare system, where there's another value of knowing. And I like them both. But uh, many times it's us chaplains and spiritual care providers who are holding up that value of, I don't know this, and it's okay, and I'm going to live in 
the unknowing for now. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast, David. I really appreciate your time. You're really, you're very welcome. It was uh, such a privilege to be with you all. So thanks a lot. Reverend David Fleener is Director of Education at the Center for Spirituality and Health at Mount Sinai's Icon School of Medicine. Road to Resilience is a production of the Mount Sinai Health System. It's produced by Katie Oman, Nikki Hudson, and me, John Earl. Lucia Lee is our executive producer. If you'd like to donate to support Mount Sinai's COVID-19 efforts, please follow the link in the show notes. Your donations help us save lives. Thank you. To stay in the loop about new episodes of the podcast, sign up for our newsletter. We'll include a link to that as well in the show notes. We'll be back soon with more episodes. And until then, stay safe and be well.